imagine a world in which PTSD no longer robs from millions who suffer. You don't want to get help because you're embarrassed. You don't want to tell people the dark stuff that you've went through. That stigmatism of you can't talk to people it is so true. I just didn't feel like I wanted to open up to anybody or tell them what I was going through. Post-traumatic stress is not a disorder. It's an injury that can be healed quickly so that those who suffer get back to thriving in their families, communities, and mission. And I said, I yeah. don't want to, I, I can't, I don't want to live this trauma again. Yeah. And he goes, yeah. you don't have to. Yeah. And I said, yeah. what? The hospital I went to and the experts, they forgot to tell me I can heal. I didn't know that I can get rid of PTSD. Each week, we tell a skeptical world what is possible with stories of those who have successfully cured their trauma. I wanted so desperately to be a good mother and get my life back, so I found Life After PTSD, and I started driving and listen. I called my boyfriend and said, hello, I've got something you need to listen to. This is Life After PTSD. Well, I want to welcome everybody to another episode of Life After PTSD. My name is Jeff McLaughlin, hosting as always, and we are here live tonight in the makeshift studio at Inspired Outcomes in Guelph, Ontario. Mr. Alan Canerva, how's it going? Great, Jeff. How are you doing on a Sunday night? Doing well, man. We're having a good old time, and it's uh, beautiful weather up here. Just finished a training up here. But before we get to that, let me introduce special guest that we have with us tonight, Rory Olson. How's it going, Rory? Doing great. Going great. Rory and I have been roommates the last couple of days, so we're, uh, we're bonded, man. Yeah, the two Americans that came up to yeah Airbnb, yeah. also known as your in-laws, yeah place and uh, my yeah. in-laws Airbnb, <laughs> they just didn't know they were running one. Yes, bonded brothers through Airbnb. I expect <laughs> one of them to talk to me about the cleaning fee. Well, I told them I said just put that on Alan's tab, and that how this works right there. And, yeah, and, they, they, uh, and that's they, when they started laughing. <laughs> yeah, I got and some crying. I got some looks, man. So Rory's from Illinois. I live in the northern suburbs of Chicago. Cool. Are you a Cubbies fan? Did we talk about that? You know what? I do not follow baseball. Ball. However, neither do Cubbies fans. Watch, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I know. We can't. We can't. Neither do Cubbies fans. Is that what you said? Yeah. Was it the Bartman? Was that the deal? Yes. Yeah. I remember. I was watching that game. I remember that. And yes, at that time, that was very heartbreaking. Woo. Alan, right. let's get the conversation started, man. We just finished a training here in a, a protocol that, well, a, a, what do you call PACE? I mean, how would you describe that exactly? It's a clinical methodology for the application of neuro-linguistic programming and timeline therapy and hypnosis. Mm -hmm. Literally, the toolbox for NLP is so big and the clients are complex that I've witnessed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of NLP pracs and master prac graduates struggle with what to do when a client walks in the door. And my wife and I, when we first got in the practice, were spending a lot of prep time getting ready for clients. And uh, I was researching a, a post-traumatic stress disorder and I came across Phil Zimbardo and the time cure. And he was talking about past negative, past positive, uh, fatalism, hedonism, the future. And that sort of resonated with the way Tad James teaches NLP, the perspective of timeline therapy, past, present, future. And I started overlaying the two. And I talked to Tara. I said, I think, I think there's a, a, a flow, a syntax of how you should do things. And so that was the genesis of PACE. And we, we were doing it internally. We didn't even have a name for it. And then some of our grads said, can you teach us what you're doing? And uh you know, acronyms come together. And I said, Tara, what do you think of the name PACE? Protocols for Achieving Coaching Excellence. So we ran with it. And we've trained uh, probably 50% of the people who study NLP with us uh, go on to take PACE because we really, really focus on training NLP coaches. We, we teach very little public. We teach very few business people. We teach people who want to get in the business of NLP coaching. So that was, you know, a quick story of the genesis and what it stands for. So, so we need, let's take it slow for the listeners tonight. 
that's the Concord trip that's right there. That's how it always comes. And we need to you slow know it down that, and you know fly that, this. Jeff, baby. You know that. I know, and that's good, and, and, and I understand that. But for the good of the audience out there, and I think that this is going to be the beautiful thing about having Rory and I talk about like this, even though Rory is leaps and bounds ahead of me in terms of his training in the NLP world. But, you know, Alan, as you know, we started the show originally when you were training in a trauma-focused, trauma-specific-focused um, NLP protocol. And, you know, that we were just mainly just focusing on that. And so for many of our early stories... We had clinicians who were learning that protocol and learning how to sort of add this tool to their arsenal so that when they were doing talk therapy, CBT, any of the other things that they did in their practice and they encountered somebody with trauma, they had a quick clearing tool, an effective research-based tool for that. And uh, that tool was, of course, based on NLP. And so many of those clinicians who were trained early on then eventually said, hey, Alan, this trauma clearing thing is great, but... There's just so many other things that then open up because when uh, when someone heals, when this whole thing starts, what do we do for the other, you know, and, and that's really when we started to change our focus and start to talk about all of the tools of NLP in general. So why don't we start it this way? Um, just as a refresher, even though we've talked about it before, in 60 seconds or less, what is NLP? First, he tells me to slow down, and then he says, in 60 seconds or less, what is NLP? Well, but I'm chunking down here, getting you to the micro level, answering one question at a time. Yeah, I'd say good luck summarizing NLP in a minute. Anytime I've people I've heard maybe 50 different definitions of what NLP is. It's the study of subjective experience. It's a methodology and an attitude that leaves behind a trail of techniques or it's just a modeling it's a modeling technology. So depending on who you ask, there's different definitions. I like the one where we start where it's the modeling of excellence. NLP you know, here's, here's a spoiler alert. It doesn't exist. NLP is the modeling of excellence. And it starts with the modeling of Virginia Satir, Milton Erickson, and Fritz Perls. And their very best techniques, the founders, Bandler and Grinder, modeled them and then broke them down, parsed them out, and came up with this elegant set of tools that could be taught to others, and others could get the same results that certainly Bandler and Grinder did, and, and perhaps Virginia Satir and, and Milton Erickson at times. And, and so for me, it's modeling of excellence in any field, and being able to use those tools and pass them to others, replicate and pass it on. Cool. And, the, and of course, the NLP, the neuro, and then the linguistic and the programming uh, speaks to how external stimuli, what we see, what we hear, what we feel, what we smell, what we taste comes into our mind and how we store it in words, linguistics, and how that combines with our physiology to create our state, our programming, all our behavior. Everything you're doing right now is be happening unconsciously. You're not deciding to grow your hair or nod your head or do anything else you're doing. It's happening from the unconscious. You're programmed you're assuming to do it. some things right here. Okay. That I'm actually quite growing. talented. I just took a few minutes right there to say to my hair, we need to grow. You and I need to have a growing moment right here. So for the average person, I'll concede that, but I am a little more talented, Alan, as you know. Then redirect it. It's growing in your forehead. Fair. Hey, real quick though, if most of the most of the people working in the field of counseling come from more of a traditional, you know, they're licensed mental health counselors, therapists, marriage and family clinical social workers, so on and so forth. How would you differentiate NLP from, say, more the traditional counseling world? How would you guys answer that? Well, for me, and, and, and I want Rory to jump in here. For me, you've seen me work. Both you guys have seen me work. Uh, you've seen me work quite extensively, Jeff, and, and now Rory's had a couple of weeks with us. Um, I work content-free. So if you look at the traditional psychotherapy and, and NLP, I work content-free. I'll clear a trauma, and I don't, I don't know where the, the trauma occurred. I might know the age. I don't know if it's day or night. Uh, you know, I don't know anything. Fair. And so that's different. You know, I, I had um, a couple of psychotherapists working here in our clinic, 
And, and it struck me that that's when I actually saw the division between the, the two schools of thought. In NLP, we like to brag about the problems we had and how we overcame them. Like we get together in groups and we just open the kimono and tell about all the bad things we had <laughs> and how we overcame them and how this person's amazing and that person's amazing. Sure. With my psychotherapist working here, their clients would be waiting in the foyer. And I like to talk to anybody and I go out there. Well, it's wrapped in this veil of secrecy. You know, the person coming in doesn't want anybody to know they're in therapy. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I talk to them and then, and then their psychotherapist says, you can't talk to my clients. And, it, and it's this whole veil. And then I was noticing um, the, the one female psychotherapist I had here specializes in, uh, in DBT, dialectic behavioral therapy. She had a trauma client come here for a complete year, once a week, every two weeks, or so for an hour, once every two weeks, for a year. You, you've witnessed time after time after time overcoming trauma in two to three sessions. Seriously. Seriously. <laughs> so, you know, I, I don't want to get into the science behind it. I don't want right. to get into the day-to-day, -day, but no, we've done if you before. chunk way, way up and look at what are the differences, in the NLP world, it's a pretty transparent world. We, we do it. What we can fix, we fix. And what we can't, we stay. Well, at least we do in this clinic. You guys know this. Uh, what we do here is if we can help, we help. And if we can't, we send you somewhere else. We refer you out. And what are your thoughts on that, Rory? You know, my thoughts, it's about the idea that it, our experience has structure. Mm-hmm. And once you engage with that structure with a client, you can find out how they're doing their problem or how they're actually interacting with the world in that way. Then you can engage with that structure and make small adjustments so that the problem has been adjusted in some way or however they experience sure, it. Sure, sure. And it transforms the experience and ultimately ends up transforming their life. Even if, even in the most minor and small ways can blossom into something much larger. And you two guys experienced that this week. We did. You know, um, Rory's a NLP master prac. He's done a lot of uh, trainings around the NLP community, advanced protocols that other people have developed. You're a practitioner. I trained Correct. you, but you're mm -hmm. also a clinician down in Florida. You do marriage counseling, so you've got counseling experience. Yeah. Well, coaching, pastoral Coach. counseling. So pastoral it's different. Pastoral counseling, yeah. sorry. Yeah. To, the, to the licensed <laughs> clinicians out there, I don't want to offend anybody. Let's be clear on that. But go. yes, I but yes, I work in that you. context very Thank much. You. Yeah, so... <laughs> You, you both came in and attended PACE. We yeah. did three days of training. Then you did a two-day practicum. One mm -hmm. day where you did a PACE breakthrough, eight hours with a client. And the next day, you were the client. And, and at the beginning of that, you did a time perspective inventory from Stanford. And we got a profile of, of your, call it a mini psychograph, if you will, how you stored in uh, information past negative, past positive, fatalistic, hedonistic, and future. And then you did one on the exit eight hours later. And each of you made a marked shift yeah. as coaches in eight hours. You saw the demonstrable results in eight hours. And then, you, and then you sat down as client and had that effect on you. Yes, I, w I don't want to waste the opportunity here because we can go piece by piece and talk about what a breakthrough is. And I think that, that that's a kind of cool thing to do. So we start with, you, you said the Zimbardo, but ZTPI, ZTPI. Tell the audience what that is. What is a ZTPI and why is it useful? Well, Phil Zimbardo was a head of psychology at Stanford University before he retired. He was always also the head of the American Psycho uh, Psychological Association. And he was interested. He became fascinated on how cultures primarily were focused on time. Protestant versus Catholic or Eastern European versus Western European, South American, African. But down to the individual, some of us have a more of an orientation towards the past 
And some of us have more of an orientation towards the future. And within the past, some of us are really, really focused on past negative, and some of us are more focused on past positive. And then in the, under the present, some of us are very fatalistic. We, we believe our lives are controlled by other forces. Mm-hmm. And then other people are what we, you and I would call control freaks, right? They think they control everything, sure. shy, shy of the sun coming up and down. And then, and then in the present, there's also hedonism. And that's, that's for me, that's in, in NLP terms, it's the pure pleasure of experiencing the things that are just beautiful to see, the uh, sounds that are incredible, the smells that thrill you, and, and the feelings. And then the future is your future orientation. Sure, sure. So I saw that survey. It's a 56-question uh, survey. It's been done in 20 country, 29 countries, um, thousands and thousands of people. He has a baseline. There's lots of research on it. And so we use that survey from Stanford by Phil Zimbardo called the Zimbardo Time Perspective Inventory. And that gives us a baseline because in NLP, we're interested how much negative thought people are hanging on to. And people who, who have trauma, which is my area of specialty, that graph is off the scale for past negative. Usually, um, Sapolsky, Robert Sapolsky, or sorry, David Kessler, Dr. David Kessler says, when people fire the neurological link to past negative states, the neurological links to positive emotional states start to atrophy. We do these surveys with people. We see the massive past negative and very low past positive, right? And then their fatalistic thought, thought could be high or low. Some people react to bad, bad things in their life by giving up, saying they have no control. And other people respond by taking total control of their life to make sure bad doesn't happen again. And then hedonism, people who are struggling very rarely have high in the moment pleasure. And, And they either have a very high future orientation sort of a Pollyanna effect, thinking tomorrow's going to be a better day, mm. or they believe their, their future's tanked. So in other words, it's, it's a life completely out of balance is Correct. what it comes down to. Yeah. Right? All of those things in balance are appropriate, right? But when they yeah. get out of balance, you know, the past negative is way too high. There's yeah. no, yeah, all of that stuff. Granted. All right. So you, you bring someone in, you do an evaluation with them using the ZTPI, and then what? Then we do the breakthrough, and it's, it's fundamentally a, a seven-step process, uh, the first five steps are two hours, really rigorous intake, two-hour intake to understand, mostly for the, for the client to become aware of their problem, how pervasive it is and how deep. And, and not the problem they present with, but the root problem, the problem yeah. that drives that presenting problem. Because uh, they're not coming here unless they think they have a problem. They, they come here and they think they got this, and you, yeah. you know, generally know that it's something else. It's, it's deeper. Yeah. It's something bigger, right? Uh, That's nor- what it comes down to. N- yeah. nor- normally, if the client can say it, that ain't it. So, you know, there's something that rocks my world when you say that it's so true. It's so true. And we buy it and our friends and family buy it. And, and really it's, it is just techno rational. You know what? Um, and then the second step is we clear past negative emotions using timeline therapy. It's this beautiful process. And at this point we start invoking some, uh, Connie Ray Andreas. We do a core transformation, which is, I call it higher NLP or a spiritual NLP, but she, she doesn't refer to it as NLP at all, but and then we go into step three, which is another two-hour session. We clear significant emotional events, including adverse childhood events, which so many people who are struggling as adults have had adverse childhood events. And all of these things, we try and find root causes in that uh, phase from zero to seven. And Bruce Lipton talks about how important that is. Tad James talks about it. Uh, William James talked about it. Classical psychology talks about that. And then uh, 
we clear any traumas, any phobias, and we spend a lot of time clearing belief structures to believe anything you've had to decide it, and we work on the decision points. So you talked about the negative emotions, and the negative emotions that you're mainly clearing to start are going to be fear, anger, sadness, hurt, guilt, sometimes shame. I know you're big on working with that one, too. I mean, Rory, let's just talk about that one for starters. Those six things, well, five, but you know, I include the shame. I think that's a powerful one too, right? Yeah, and, and do you know. it like this though, Jeff, just yeah. let me jump in. Anger, sadness, fear, hurt, and guilt. And then some people don't store anger as anger. They store it as rage. And some people have fear as scared and some people, but guilt and shame, it's uh, Tara and Maya's experience, uh, my wife and partner here at the business, our experience of shame and guilt are different for people. They store it differently. They house it differently. It impacts them differently. And then any other complex equivalent for those emotions. And then if you're working for a person who is English as a second language, ESL, you clear those emotions in their native language. And and, uh, it's profound. Clearing those things out in that specific order is like refreshing or debugging your computer or just refreshing your or installing almost like reinstalling your operating system in some ways in where... You still are you. You went back to your default settings. Yes. You go back to your default and then maybe you can make some adjustments from there. And, yeah. and some of that's where the programming comes in. But this is like clearing those emotions is like deprogramming or, or clearing out errant programs or viruses or something that might be a, you know, a too strong of a word, but that's pretty much what happens. I don't there. think it's a, yeah, either way, the analogy works. Cause in some cases they are viruses. They can be really pretty extreme, can't they? You know, yeah. and let's be honest here. I mean, if anyone is listening to this going, yeah, I don't have any of those emotions, right? I don't, I don't carry that stuff. You're lying for starters, right? <laughs> I mean, and you, I, and, right. Well, and I don't mean that of course to be in a, in a disparaging or mocking way. It's just, it's that goofy of a statement. We all know that we carry that kind of stuff. And frankly, you know, six months ago, I could have been completely free of it and life happens, doesn't it? Yes. And right? the clearing of these emotions comes from Fritz Perls and Gestalt therapy. That, that emotions, inappropriate and unwarranted emotions are connected in a Gestalt back to some root event. So what are appropriate emotions? That's the real question. Well, if, they, if somebody breaks in my house tonight yeah. and, and threatens my beautiful wife and my three children, I'll get angry. I'll deal with it. When the police come and take him away, I'll go to bed and I'll sleep. Right. That's appropriate and warranted. Right. If tomorrow morning I start hunting in the community still full of rage for, for people like that person, that's inappropriate. Right. right? So we, 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 you know, they say in uh, some Eastern philosophies to have high highs, joy, love, passion, yeah. you have to yeah. have low lows. Yeah. So when, when a loved one dies, you should be sad. You should be grieved. Of course. In a reasonable way, you, you, you know, you can't be grieving 6, 12, 18 months later in a debilitating way. That would be inappropriate and unwarranted. When your brother steals your bike at six years old, when you're 35 and you still hate him for it, call me. There have been several like this, but I know that the most recent I can think of is a Bruce Willis movie where it was all about vengeance. Okay, and I think it was like two or three years ago where basically something crazy happens to him and he goes out and he gets that sort of vigilante justice that like all of us, I think, inside kind of resonate with. Like we all go and realize, you know, when you walk out of a movie like that, you're going, I think I like that a little bit too much. Right. Those are the emotions we're talking about. That sort of thing. Yes. Is that yes. is that fair? Yeah, okay. Yes. I mean, maybe an oversimplification. But, but, it, but no. it can be sadness. Fair. You know, we, we know a woman in the community who's you know, whose husband left her 35 years ago. He's now passed away in his 70s. Sure. And when you go in her house, the original art, uh, they divorced 35 years ago. Her, the original artwork's still there. She's still bitter, still yeah. sad, still whatever. That's not okay. Yeah. It's not okay for the yeah. human 
structure. It's not okay for yeah. her. So she's stuck. She's missing out on life, essentially. Yeah. So you clear these things. You continue along the process. And how does this process progress, guys? You're, you're playing moderator here, Jeff, but you are both I'll, client and clinician. You can tell yeah. me. No, I'm going to talk. I'm happy to talk. I, I love, I'm fascinated just hearing you guys speak. So I'm just taking a, you know, back seat here. So and let, watch let's it. change gears here, Rory. Watch this. All right, here hey, we go. Here hey, hey, welcome back to the Life After PTSD show. And you're here with the moderator, Alan Kinerva. And in my studio tonight, I have Jeff and Rory, who just came back from a PACE course up in Canada. Hey, Jeff, what was it like to be a client on PACE course this weekend? I'm just hoping for starters that if somebody started the podcast right at that minute mark right there and they hear his voice, they're like, crap, what happened to this show? It went down fast, man. You know, what was that great host that we liked? I'm kidding. My ego's blowing up here. No, I, I loved it, man. It was it was amazing. So I came up, um, obviously, to spend some time with you to train, capture some things, do some podcasts and everything. But yeah. And Alan, by the way, I just got to say this. This is one of the things I love about training with you in general and all the months that we've spent over the last, you know, a couple, a uh, couple seasons now. Close to a year, training. man. Yeah. Almost a year now. And, um, you know, you very much throw people in. It's not just sitting there and getting lectured at, right. You're installing information and it's like, all right, now go do it. And for somebody that's an experiential learner, huge, but that can be terrifying too. All right. So I started out as a client. And I had a, I have wonderful Heidi. If you're out there listening, you were fantastic. Heidi did an amazing job working with me, and uh, was just very perceptive. I'm very much a thinker, and so you know, you ask questions and things like that. I'm very much in my head and analyzing and and that sort of thing. And she just did an amazing job, just bringing me back and sort of extracting, or not extract, really just helping me, helping me stay on track so that my own mind was helping me extract the stuff that needed to be cleared and and needed to be worked through and everything. And I'll suggest to you, yeah, if Heidi had you for eight hours without a pace. With her skill set, mm -hmm. she wouldn't have been able to stay in the moment as readily because she would have been thinking, what do I do next with Jeff? What yeah. do I do next with Jeff? But yeah. when she was in step two, she knew she did all of step two. As she cleared step two, she knew she was going to do step three yeah. in the order yeah. of the programs there. So she could hold space for you yeah. and use that massive intellect of hers yeah. to work with you. Oh, get I thought the he was results. talking about me, that massive <laughs> Comment, Alan. No. Oh, man. Well, I, but, you know, it's interesting you say that, too. And I think this is one of the other things I love just about the NLP world in general, but also the trauma specific parts of that. Um, but it applies to all things is that there's a recognition that you don't have to heal every single moment of your life. Right. Get to some of those root causes and the, the brain will do some of that naturally that I'm still that has still been a paradigm shift for me that I'm still processing right? Seeing you work with trauma people like our veterans and whatever first responders that we've worked with, you have healed things or, and, and seen literally their trauma cured and they didn't have to go back and cure all 12 of their traumas, all 10 of their traumas, whatever it was. It was no. like, let's get the one or two root causes and everything else just kind of falls in line, which is amazing. And I, I feel like I, I experienced some of that myself um, going through this process. And then on the flip side of that playing clinician, that was an amazing experience. Because I'm still, I mean, I have a lot of experience, as we've talked about on the show before, working with couples, but not a lot of experience in the NLP world and really doing breakthroughs and everything. And so, you know, I, I'm working through scripts and, and doing stuff and watching right before my very eyes that the person that I'm working with is having a major breakthrough, right? Major things that I don't even fully understand. It's like her in her own mind and I'm going, cool. And she walks out of here, just changed person, countenance changes, everything. Very, very cool. So much of what we teach, my wife and I specifically, but NLP in generally, but Tara and I specifically, go outside NLP to find corroborating information from the best minds we can think about. Sure. And I, I've already quoted Robert Sapolsky and David Kessler, and, and there's others, but you just talked about your skill set. You are consciously competent. We, our, our goal is to make our, our uh, students, our participants, consciously competent. 
And then you're going to go home and you're going to practice your skills and become unconsciously competent. Right. But at the, you know, we, I'm going to tell you, we observe people like we were there all day for the two days of practice. I'm sure. in and out and we're listening and we're observing and we're more importantly, I'm listening to you, but I'm observing your client. Yeah. And, uh, you're at the, you're at the edge of conscious competence, right? Going into unconscious competence. It's just repetition now. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. uh, you're right. We install the information and we get you to go do it and you get the same results that Tara and I do. Yeah. And that's yeah. inspiring. It is. It is. That's it's why we named cool. the company. No, sorry. I was going down. The <laughs> hey, I, was doing, I was doing a gratuitous plug for the company. Well, but. So let's do this. Let's, let's take a break real quick. And we're going to reset some things. When we come back, we're going to talk about, remember Alan, we are a trauma focused show. We are life after PTSD. And so now I want to talk about after the break, how does this relate to trauma? What's up um, next when it comes to NLP in the world of trauma? Um, so keep on listening to Life After PTSD. Hey, Life After PTSD listeners. We're glad that you love other stories of healing, but what about you? First Orlando Counseling is the premier trauma therapy center in Central Florida with a full staff of trained clinicians ready to help you clear your trauma without re-traumatization. Childhood abuse, relationship abuse, a traumatic car accident, birth trauma, first responder or military trauma, even phobias. You don't have to live like this. It's time for you to heal. Schedule a consultation today by visiting firstorlandocounseling.com or call 407-514-4470. It's that easy. So here we are back having a great conversation with Rory Olson and of course, Alan Canerva and uh, last night in Guelph, man, I have to go home tomorrow, Alan. This town's going to miss me. I'm just going to say that. Tim Horton's down the street from my house going to miss you. Why don't we shift gears and let's talk about what's on the horizon. First of all, how does, you know, for a new listener, you know, just again, another one of those 60 second questions, Alan, how does NLP relate to trauma? What does life after PTSD and NLP have to do with each other? You know, the, the NLP trauma intervention has been around for 40 years and anecdotally within the NLP community, we've had nothing but massive success with it. But when you, when you start to think uh, more critically about post-traumatic stress or people who are traumatized and you read the literature you're struck with a couple of things, Jeff. And, and Rory, you've been around enough and you've seen enough people suffering that I think you'll agree with this. People who've been traumatized have stuff that has happened to them in their childhood. And so if the traumatizing event was a mission in Afghanistan at 26 years old and you clear that, they still have this unresolved event in their childhood that you should touch. And I don't want to, I don't want to play whack-a-mole with clients. Client comes in the door with trauma, you have a trauma, traumatic event, wherever, I don't care if it's a birth trauma, car accident trauma, uh, an assault trauma or a military trauma, police trauma, I, I could clear that trauma in literally under 30 minutes, easily and effortlessly. But my, uh, my training tells me that they have stuff in their childhood that needs to be helped. And my training tells me that they're, they've, you know, they're, they're adults, so they've accumulated negative emotions and those should be cleared. And my training tells me that they've had also significant emotional events in their life. And when we do all of that, clear all of that negative past and close those memories from the childhood and then also clear the trauma, they're going to be in a way better place than if I just clear the trauma. And when something really, really bad happens, so it's a significant emotional event, including trauma, we start to have new beliefs about the world around us. And clearing the trauma may or may not clear those beliefs. You know, a person who gets assaulted in a park by a man in a hoodie 
after they've been assaulted, I can clear the trauma on the assault. They still may believe that parks are unsafe. They may believe that men with hoodies are unsafe. And so you have to deal with those. I think it would be irresponsible not to deal with those. And when you think about somebody who's lived with trauma or any other really, really uh, impactful negative emotional state, their narrative, the story they tell themselves and others about their life is informed by this painful past. And again, going back to Dr. Kessler's work, you know, that painful past, those neurological pathways to the painful past have been fired and wired and embellished in the, in the, and the neurological pathways to positive emotional states have been atrophied. So the narrative they're st- telling about who they are is based on this painful past. When we clear the pain, potentially we leave them without a narrative. So for me, it would be irresponsible to leave a client there. So in step four of PACE, we, we reconnect to positive, past positive emotions using a number of techniques. And in step five, we, we do a values alignment, one of our deepest unconscious filters. And then we start setting goals with people for the future. And then we check in four weeks later, we task them, and we check in another four weeks later. And, and so I tell that, you know, I'm closing the PACE protocol while also opening up how we deal with trauma in a more holistic form from, from the, you know, from as early as the, the person wants to the trauma to now we heal them and then help work and plan the future. Because, you know, it's one thing to work with somebody who is traumatized and they've just been off work a month and they can go back to work once they clear the trauma. But what about that military veteran who lost their career eight years ago, who's been overdosed on Zoloft for eight years, who hasn't left their house for eight years who hasn't slept for eight years, we clear the trauma. Where have we left them, Jeff? We, we have a moral obligation to do more than just clear the damn trauma. You've seen it happen. We, you've seen somebody at the front of the room who hasn't slept for eight years go home, set his alarm clock at 10, uh, go to bed at 10, set his alarm clock for six the next morning, sleep through the night. And that's beautiful. But where is he? You know, we have an obligation to do more than that. So, you know, and in, in, in my drive to, to do this, in my drive to take this to the people, you know, there's sort of two schools of thought that, that uh, this NLP protocol should be put in the, in the realm of academia and psychologists and psychiatrists in some sort of highly manualized form. And you saw me train that, right? Yeah. yeah. But those people still didn't. I had to trust that they would use that protocol in a continuum of care. Yeah. I had to trust yeah. that when they would use that hammer, that they would also finish the building, right? Yeah. And I had no understanding that they'd do that. You were training clinicians, so important, but such a small percentage of them that are out there. I, we don't have time. That's what it comes down to. We don't have time on our hands to sit back and wait for that world only to be the only solution that's out there for folks with trauma. And if they don't need somebody who's up, I mean, imagine this, man, if you didn't need a brain surgeon, if you, if you had some other tool to do brain surgery on yourself and you didn't need a brain surgeon, that would be pretty cool, wouldn't it? Oh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. can you imagine that? And you imagine having having a, a, a resource of great quality, of equal quality that did not require the highest level expert. That's what I think is cool. I mean, guys, I'm, I'm hosting a podcast here and literally know how to do some of these skills because of working with Alan and seeing the results that you guys are getting. Okay, if you want proof in the pudding right there for crying out loud, right? Yes, and exactly. And you don't need to be an expert to know how to clear trauma. No. To learn this type of technique, it's actually very, I mean, it certainly helps to know the things behind the scenes. But yeah. And I think that, you know, we, we, if we help get the message out to enough people, you know, soldiers, when they're in trouble, phone soldiers. Agreed. And policemen, when they're in trouble, 
if they phone anybody, they phone a police officer. Sure. And firemen phone firemen, and students phone students. And so if we have enough people trained, you know, our friend Kyle saved a friend's life, huh? Yeah. I, I, I clearly... Who, who you would not have access to. I would not have access to because... Yeah. Different worlds, different, different tribes, worlds, right? Yeah. Different tribes. Mm -hmm. So Kyle was a, a, a demo subject in a training and we've stayed friends. And so he sat through that training. He did, he was demo on day two. So he sat through the end and then he came to another training and then he told me, you know, a friend of mine called and, and he was told me he was going to commit suicide. And I broke state just the way you taught me, you know, I showed that you showed everybody how to break state. I watched you do it with enough people and, and I got him calm again. And then I, I wasn't really sure what I was doing, Alan, but I put him up in the movie theater and I had him run black and white movies from the projections booth and rewind him until he got calm. And then we got him to professional help. So Kyle kept his friend safe. He broke state, got him stable. And then he did a quick adjustment to got, get the guy calm enough to get him to professional help. How many lives would we have saved? And How then apologize to you for doing it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, of course he did. Alan, you bear hug this guy, man. Uh, right? Alan, I hope you're not mad at me. I did the technique even though I'm not trained. I love, I love you, Kyle. I just and love I, you. And I see man. him bear hug him because that connected you. When Kyle did that, that was connected with your purpose right? Bring this to the masses. We don't need to lose one more person, right? No. Whether you're a vet, whether you're no. traumatized for whatever reason, it doesn't need to happen. And I, I feel like sometimes I almost, feel, I almost feel like on this show, we have to apologize because we are so casual about how we talk about the clearing of PTSD. Like I almost feel like, like we, we should do that because some could interpret that as, well, these are the most like apathetic people in the world. And it's not that at all, right? It is not that at all. It's this idea that you don't have to live like this, Right. You don't have to live like this. And, and, and if you I would can be cleared, come on. And I, and I would certainly never be irresponsible with this. And, and so of course. the two and a half day workshop, the people that are in that workshop will have state management tools that I'm going to suggest to you nine out of 10 clinicians have. because I trained 150 clinicians across yes. Southern United States last year. And I was surprised how nine out of 10 couldn't do a break state. They couldn't break the negative emotional state, the sympathetically aroused state of a client like that. So in other words, somebody's traumatized. And everybody right? in NLP can. Right. Yeah. But so what you're saying, so somebody's traumatized. They're thinking of that past experience. They're yeah. They're in a sympathetic arousal. Right. They're negatively aroused. They're full of whatever, terror, rage, down, what, you crying. name it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so what do they have to do? And they're in the hands of somebody that doesn't have those skills. They've got to allow that process to drag out over time. And it takes a while, doesn't it? Oh, whatever okay. they do, tell them to talk it down, walk it down, breathe yeah. it down. And, yeah. and you've been, and yet we, have it, seconds, we have it seconds. on film, right? Of course. And the two guys, the two guys that were the most challenging, of course, were both six foot three, 240 pound men. Yeah. But you still just, you break their state, you get them calm, you get them to a resourceful state, and then you work with them. Yeah. And then yeah. if you're not a professional, you get them to a professional. Yeah. But having trained those people in the States, I was appalled. I was absolutely appalled. And I was appalled when I talked to some of them at the breaks. You know, what will you do with the tra traumatic climate afterwards? I don't know. I think I'm done. No, I'm sorry. So, you know, I, I am on a mission and, and you know, I, I'm going to take some darts, but that's all right. That's all right. You know, Jeff, listening to the conversation tonight, uh, I know I've been talking most of the time, but I did listen a little bit. Um, in 2010, I was in uh, 2009. Uh, I was living in Kenya and I was running a company that provided services to NGOs. NGOs, what is an NGO? Non-governmental organizations. Sure. <laughs> the Danish Refugee Council, CARE, uh, World Vision, those kind of guys. Sure, sure. And we were hired to do a training for the Danish Refugee Council in central Somalia. So we flew, I, I hired a, um, 
a special forces guy from the UK, a para, uh, Pathfinder paramedic, and a Kenyan nurse. And we flew into Mogadishu, and then we flew in a town called Bellatwain. And then we went, drove 60 kilometers south into the wilderness, and we ran a camp there because uh, the security advisor for the Danish Refugee Council rightfully recognized that if he, wasn't, he or any of his staff were in a car accident in central Somalia, it would be a Somali that saved his life. So he, tra- he was training all of his Somali staff. He hired my company and me to train his staff. And so the Pathfinder paramedic and the nurse trained their staff in first aid. Somalis, civilians, in first aid up to intubation and cannulation, sticking an IV in the arm. Mm. Because the b- battlefield has taught us that if you can keep somebody hydrated with fluids in the IV, stop the bleeding, you can get them to safety. Yeah. Kyle stopped the bleeding. He kept his friend breathing. He got him to safety. Yeah. And I say there's no different. And, and those people in, Somali, in Somalia will save lives and the Kyles of the world will save lives. And, 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 you know, waiting, having people lined up to get into the VA for four weeks for prolonged exposure doesn't save lives. Right. I'm, yeah. I'm, I don't care. I don't care if somebody from the VA phones me. Yeah. I really don't care. We, our friend well, Dan Jarvis you, you told us. You give that example, though, of Kyle. And on the physical sense, we celebrate that person. Man, he's a hero. That's amazing. Oh, I'm sorry, not of Kyle, of the Somalis yeah. of doing that. If somebody does that. Yes. Yet in the mental health world, you know, you say what you just said, and there's a lot of people out there going, ah, it's a snake oil salesman. He's a crook. He's a criminal. He's all this kind of stuff. How is it any different? What are you talking about here? Equipping people with proven skills that help them break their state, get them back to a place where they're not in that negative emotional arousal and help them clear trauma without having prolonged exposure, which is what, 12 to 15 sessions. Talk to me about that, Alan. I'm going to get Alan riled up here just because yeah, no, I'm... Yeah, don't do it. Do it. Come on. No, this is where we're landing no, the plane we, tonight. Go yeah, out on a bang, buddy. Come he on. He went there. He went Go there. Out. He you went used there. the word immoral. Well, Come well, on, Kenerva. It is immoral. Well, talk to me it about why. Immoral. Tell it me is, why. You know what? And, and uh, if a person has to retell their story and then record it and then listen to it over and over again, and while their statistics show that it, it helps, I don't know what it helps, 30 or 40%, but they don't talk about the recurrence rate. It's extraordinary. Right. Everybody I've talked to is re, uh, extraordinary. And they don't talk about the people like our friend Dan Jarvis, who right. left the program and, can, and contemplated suicide. Kyle was in prolonged exposure. Yep. Morgan was in prolonged exposure. I don't know one person who's spoken of it and said, man, it healed me. Think about it. You know, if you had anything bad that happened in your life, if I made you recount that in as much detail as you can, record it, and then listen to it over and over and come back to my office and tell me it again till you were desensitized. I don't know. It seems like a long, painful road, mm. a long, torturous road. And yeah. I use the word carefully. Welcome to Sunday nights. <laughs> Roy, you having fun? Oh, yes. Always fun. I love listening to Alan. He has so much wisdom and knowledge about this topic. And I can see both of your, I can see, see the, the listeners can't see it, but I can see the passion between both of you two two people about this subject. So. I mean, it's a crusade of sorts. It really is. And it's not, it's not a crusade of people trying to instigate things. That's really not the case. It's just when you know what you know, you know, if, if someone out there tomorrow discovered the cure for cancer, how are you going to not tell the world about that? That's really what it comes down to. You know, you know, but Jeff, it's not that we should do this show. We can't not do this show. Jeff, I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, your friend Ben will tell you why this happened. I'm not going to tell you why it's happened. I'm going to tell you what happened. Sure. 
In the mid-80s, early 1980s, a doctor in Australia wondered why he, why he couldn't cure his uh, stomach ulcers for his client. And he started treating them with antibiotics. And about 80% of his patients got over their ulcers. Now, in the 80s, when you were diagnosed with, with ulcers, you had ulcers forever. Mm. And you were on ulcer medication. It was a multi-billion dollar industry. And uh, so he started publishing papers and going to to uh, conferences and presenting his materials. And as I understand the story, and you can read it, he was made a, a, a laughing stock in the industry. And at one point, he actually infected himself with the bacteria that causes the ulcers. And then took the, of course, took the antibiotic and sure, got over it. Sure. And it was a decade, a decade he had to fight before his message got out, before it actually got accepted widely in the medical. So if you go to your doctor with an ulcer right now, uh, they'll treat it with an antibiotic first. And so, you know, unfortunately, it seems to be the world we're in. Our, our, our mutual friend, Ben, he, he's on a crusade. I'm on a crusade. You know, there's a lot of thinking that's emerging. Trauma is an injury. It's not an illness. It's not a disorder. You don't need to be stigmatized. It's your brain's perfect reaction in an abnormal situation. Just like, you know, you put a 500-pound weight on my forearm and it's going to break. It's my forearm's perfect reaction in an abnormal situation. Put a, put it, or don't even put a cast on it nowadays, right? They'll pin it, yeah. leave yeah. it cast free for four to six weeks. It'll heal. The body has a perfect blueprint. It'll return it to its straight shape. And, uh, and we move on. And we move on. Imagine, and just have your listeners listen to this. You know, it's unfortunate that you and I know so many people with trauma. And I'm telling you that the main problem is, is that we're projecting it as an illness and a disorder and we're stigmatizing people with it. And you and I both know that when somebody has trauma, they're not doing anything they're meant to do. And it just goes downhill. If they, it, they'll be lucky if they don't lose their family and their assets. And, and think about the number of people who are traumatized and suffering and not living an optimal life. What does it cost all of us societally? And not, I'm not talking economically. I'm talking spiritually and morally. It's yeah. Not- so I like to sit and imagine, and I'd encourage the listeners to imagine a world where somebody, you know, is traumatized and like a broken arm, they get it healed and they get back to being who they're meant to be and their families get their mother or father or son or daughter back untraumatized. The organizations they serve get their people back. The communities they live in thrive. And it all happens fast in days and weeks. And I like to imagine that world, Jeff, because that's the world we find ourselves in. The, inter- the intervention we teach has been rigorously tested to IRB standards, 90% plus success rate, without drugs, without re-traumatization. And so the only thing I can ask, the only thing I can beg, right, if you or somebody else has been traumatized, if you have a friend who you think has been traumatized, come to the workshop. If you've been traumatized, come to the workshop. If you just want to help other people who have been traumatized, come to the workshop. And if you're a clinician, come to the workshop. Guys, I want to thank you for pouring your heart out leaving it all out on the field tonight. And um, if you're out there listening, make sure you connect with us. We, we love getting feedback. We love hearing from our, 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 I mean, Rory, actually, it's funny. You helped me this week find somebody, a uh, solution in New Zealand, which is kind of cool. Like a New Zealand person reached out and uh, we were talking about that. Alan Norway has come and, you know, Monica, if you're out there listening, it's been very, very cool for us. And so we're hearing you. Those of you who are out there, we hear you. We hear you loud and clear. Keep reaching out. Um, join us on this mission. And we would just ask that you subscribe, that you share these episodes. There's somebody out there listening tonight that needs to hear what you've just heard. Share it on your social media. Shoot a text right now. Do whatever you need to do. And we will catch you next week on Life After PTSD. 
We're so grateful that you listened to the show today. Now imagine a new normal you get to decide with all its possibilities once you are free of PTSD, because that is what is possible. You're here, which means you're ready, but listening alone will not heal you or those you know who are suffering. Join us on the mission to eradicate PTSD by reaching out to lifeafterptsd.org or in Canada, lifeafterptsd.ca, or by sharing this message of hope with someone you know.